Well, let's get into the Word of God tonight. We've been looking at, for some time now, this subject of renewing the mind. And uh, a lot of people talk about our spirit and, and how we need to be led by the spirit, and that's very important. But so often we leave the mind out and we become... I find there's kind of two schools in the, in the body of Christ. You've got those people that are very practical, very rational, very uh, uh, cerebral, very you know, intellectual in their approach, uh, and just kind of leave the spirit out altogether. They mention him, but they don't rely on him or really know how he flows. Then you've got the other camp over here that's led by the spirit in everything they do and throw their mind out. And if you think about anything, if you have any education or understanding about anything, then you're not being spiritual, and they're both wrong. The Bible teaches both of those. The Bible says, and this is what our key scripture is in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are transformed by the remove, not by the removing our mind, but by the renewing of our mind. The Bible talks an awful lot by gaining understanding, and that God will give us understanding, and with understanding, He'll give us more understanding. So we're supposed to grow in our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, understanding of each other, understanding of the things that God teaches us through this Word, and understanding is something that's done with our mind. So what we've learned in the beginning is that there's things that God has done for us. When you come to Christ, there are things that the kingdom of God has deposited within you. And, but the reason we don't experience more of it, the reason we don't experience more success in life with our Christian life is because we're not doing what the Word of God says. It's knowing it doesn't change you. It's doing it. And the Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. He tells you two things. He says something not to do. We're not to be conformed to this world. In other words, the word there means pressured. We're not to allow the pressure of this life to, to conform us, to think like the world, act like the world, react act like the world, but instead were to be transformed or changed, really we saw from what God put inside of us in the beginning, when you came to Christ, He deposited His Spirit in you, His nature in you, but that comes to the outside. We experience it, we enjoy it, and other people get the benefit of it through the process of renewing our mind, and we've learned what that simply means is to change how we think. So we've gone through all of this. We've found out what the mind is, what the purpose of the mind in, in God's design for us. And then we've been discovering now how do we go about renewing that mind? What does it mean? We've looked at several important key principles in, in applying it. And, and now what we've begun to look at last time is the Bible teaches, gives us certain tools. It's one thing to come on Wednesday night and learn about renewing the mind and come back next Wednesday night and renew about, learn about renewing the mind. But it's another thing to do it. And the doing of it's out there. The doing of it's in your home, in your workplace, in your car. And so we need practical things that we can take home and exercise, just as in school, they didn't just give you lectures and then sent you home to watch TV all night. They also gave you homework, which is to go practice at home what you learned in school. Implement at home what you learned in school because we grow not just by gaining gaining knowledge, but as we begin to apply that knowledge, it becomes part of us. And the more you apply it in your life, the more a part of you it becomes. So you determine how much and how fast God's principles become part of your life. And that's by how you apply it in your life. And so these are very simple tools to help us do that. None of these are things, if you've been around here very long, that you've never heard of before. But we very rarely spend time just kind of settling down in them and understanding 
what they are. And the first tool that we talked about, which is the most important one, is meditation. And we learned that meditation isn't just thinking about something, it's rolling it around in your mind. It's not just reading a scripture over and over again, because I think that's what a lot of people think meditation is. If I just take a scripture on healing, or if I just take a promise God, and I just say it over and go read it over and over and over again, somehow it's going to get down in me. No, because once your mind knows what those words say, it's going to start wandering to the grocery list, what you've got to do next week. Now, I've got a point, I can quote whole chapters without even thinking about what they say, So I'm not meditating, I'm just quoting verses. I learned those verses because I meditated on them long enough they became part of me, but they're in my brain. It's like one of these tape loops that you keep playing over and over and over again. There's some I wake up thinking myself, but my mind's on something else while that word's coming out of my mouth. So, meditation is more than that. It's mulling it over is what it literally means. It means muttering it to yourself. Actually, the Hebrew word means to mutter it to yourself. But what it means is to, is to think about it. And I ended last time by telling you, I gave you some principles. I'm not going to go back over them. But they really all boil down to this. If you can worry, you can meditate. Because worrying is meditating, but it's meditating on the lies of the devil. It's not meditating on the truth. So all you got to do is look at what you do when you, med- when you worry and begin to apply those to the Word of God. Because what we're learning to do is to take the truth of God's Word and begin to deposit that down inside of us. And we do that, it creates new images. It creates a new image of who God really is, a new image of who you really are. Because the images we have of God have come from other people. It's come from the religions we may have been raised in. All of those get deposited as a form of mosaic image and down deep in our mind of what God is like, and that's what you respond to. And the best way to know what you think of God is what do you do in an emergency? When something suddenly goes wrong, the world falls apart around you, what do you do? What's your first reaction? That'll tell you a lot about what you really believe. Is your first reaction in your heart to just cry out to God with a confidence that He's going to answer you? Or is your first reaction to call up your mother or somebody else and cry and say, help, I don't know what to do? Because whoever, whatever you turn to first is what your confidence is in. Not what you say in church. Not when we have our hands raised singing, oh Lord, I love you. It's what do you do in a crisis? When you find out what's inside the grape by squeezing it. When you get squeezed, you find out what's inside of you. Now when that happens, God's not shocked to find out what's in there. We're the ones that get shocked. But that experience of being squeezed so you find out whether there's a seed in you or you're seedless, that experience helps you find out where you really are and that's when God begins to work with you. God works with you where you really are, not where you want to be or where you think you are. And when we agree, when we face the truth about where we really are, God already knows that. He already loves you where you are, but we're afraid sometimes God's not going to accept us, God's going to be angry at us. If God sees what's really going on inside of me, God won't even talk to me. But God already knows that. You're the one that doesn't know it. And when we come to that place of walking in truth, because God, wa- God always deals in truth. I don't know why I'm on this direction tonight, but I am. God always deals in truth. And so some of his work in your life is to expose the truth in you so you can see where you really are, so you can be honest with him, and now he can begin to work with where you are. But if we think we're somewhere else, we don't want to face where we really are, we want to pretend we're somewhere else, God can't work with that because he won't pretend, he won't play with your deceits, your illusions, your images, he'll only work with where you really are. So it begins by finding out what God really, what is he really like? 
And the only place we can know that is from His Word. He didn't, and it's not religion that teaches us, God's Word teaches us. And so as we get this in us, we get a better idea in our mind of who God really is. Now we can open up and trust ourselves to Him. Second thing is you get a better understanding of who you are in God's eyes. That you're not the big hotshot you thought you were, or you're not the big piece of junk you thought you were. You're exactly who you are, and God loves you the way you are. And He's, it's the way we get from where we are to where we need to be isn't because we're so smart, so sharp, so strong. It's because we yield ourselves to Him to allow Him to do that work in us. And we're, for some of us, we've got to come to the end of who we are and find out we're not as smart as we are, think we are, we're not as strong as we think we are, and then we allow God to take over. In some cases, we've got to find out that we're not the big piece of trash that we think we are, that there's value that God has put in us. And only God knows which one of those you are and what that balance is. So the process of doing that that the Bible gives us comes through renewing the mind. And the first thing is about meditation. I want to go with me to Joshua chapter 1. And then we're going to go on to the second tool. Joshua chapter 1. Now Joshua, Moses of course was the one that God called to lead, out of, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, I mean, he is the one that they followed to come out of Egypt. He is the one that has led them from the, from the bondage of Egypt through the terrible wilderness, through all the things that they dealt with. They've watched him go up on the mountain and talk face to face with God, and they've seen him come down, and God gave him the instructions to build this wonderful tabernacle, and God comes down and visits him and talks to him face to face. So they know that their leader is hearing face to face from God. And so, and they get angry at him, they struggle with him, but they have ultimately know he's the one God's given them. And then Moses dies. We're not going to go into why, but he dies before they enter the promised land. And the second one in charge, which is Joshua, Moses hands the reign over to him. And the, the start of this verse, the start of this chapter is so powerful because it says, Moses, your leader is dead. In other words, it's a change coming. The one you've had confidence in, the one you've followed, the one you've trusted is not there anymore. And this young kid is now in charge. Now we're going to look at it from Joshua's point of view because he's always had Moses. He's been the second in command and Moses is the one that heard from God. When they got mad, they got mad at Moses. They didn't get mad at Joshua. And now suddenly you're in the top position. The weight's on your shoulders. Everybody's looking at you and you're the one that's got to hear from God. And it starts here. This, we're going to look at this verse. So this is talking to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. In other words, God's saying, be strong and be in good courage. And anytime God tells you to be strong and be of good courage, know this, there's a reason why He's telling you you're going to need to be strong and of good courage. And so, because this, for, to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In other words, I'm going to still do for this people what I promised Moses I would do for them. I'm now going to do it through you. Now keep in mind, I'm going through this background because I want you to understand why what God tells him to do is so important for him, but it's also important for us because God has given Joshua an assignment to do that to him looks absolutely overwhelming. Again, 
He's grown up being Moses' right-hand man. He's grown up taking instructions from Moses, but Moses is the one that bore the responsibility. Moses is the one that, that, that God did the miracles through. Moses is the one that led them through the, the horrible wilderness. And they're right now ready to enter the promised land. And because Moses disobeyed God, and there's a long story behind that, Moses cannot enter the promised land. He can see it, but he can't enter it. And the, that assignment is now given to Joshua, knowing that as soon as they cross the Jordan River, they're going to go into war. They're going to go into battle. And he's now the one responsible. And God is reconfirming to Joshua, the same thing I told Moses is what I was going to do through him, I'm now going to do through you. Go to verse 7. Oh, Note he says that again. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. This is so important because God's going to tell him the, the, the absolute key to your success is that you simply do what I told you to do. The key to your success is that you do what I told you to do. But you must be strong and courageous so that you're able to observe to do according to all the law which I, my Moses commanded you to do. Notice he says it's not knowing the law, it's doing it. But you can't do it if you don't know it. Observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to, from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. We also see in there, God wanted them to prosper. Well, three of you like that idea. God, wa- God wanted them to prosper. We talked about Sunday. God's not a stingy God. God is a generous God. He wants to prosper His people. He wants to prosper them there in their bodies. He wants to prosper them in their soul, in their mind. He wants to prosper them in their, in their natural things. But they've got to do it His way because God understands if we don't do it His way, those blessings and prosperity will harm us. And God wants us blessed and healthy. So He says, my goal is that you may prosper. Notice that wherever you go, But the way you prosper wherever you go is you've got to do what my law commanded you to do. In order to do what my law commands you to do, you've got to know it, and then you've got to be strong so that you can do it. And this next verse is the key. This is how you, and this is how you do it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. Notice, the book of this law shall not depart from your ears. No, that's not what it says. Shall not depart from before your eyes. No, that's not what it says. It shall not depart from your mouth. Now, I want to stop here a second and ask each of us to kind of think back over this last week, maybe this last, just this today, and think of the kinds of things that came out of our mouth. I don't think I can make it. I just, I'm too tired. I'm not going to make it. Oh, the circumstances are overwhelming. I don't see a way out of this. And all these things that come out of our mouth, and then we wonder why we don't have good success. What's supposed to come out of our mouth? The book of the law. The Word of God. The Word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Not just that, but you shall meditate in it when you're in church, Sunday morning before you come to church, for 20 minutes before you go to work. No, you shall meditate in it 
day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it for then when you do what's in it you will make your way prosperous and have good success well how come I can't just read it you know Sunday morning in church and then do it the rest of the week because if you've ever noticed you can be in here Sunday morning get excited and be sincere and leave there and go out and act like you did the rest of the week because what you're doing out there in the rest of your week is what you've been thinking about all week Remember the principle, we learned one of the keys to renewing your mind is whatever you, th- what, the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And the more you think about what's wrong in your life, the more you think about what you don't have, the more you think about what things aren't happening, the more you think about what's going this way and that way, the bigger they become in your mind. And then under pressure, what do you do? You do what you've been meditating on because this is what this verse, keep it up there, this is what this verse is talking about. It's talking about meditating. And I wanted to go back and look at this because I wanted to show you that the very key foundation to God's instructions for success for the nation of Israel is that they would learn to meditate on God's Word because when they meditated on God's Word, it would change their image of who He was, what His plan for them was, so under pressure they would do what God said to do and then they would prosper. The prospering is when you obey Him and the way, the strength to obey Him is because you've been thinking about what He said and speaking out what He's, gonna, what he's saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says, in a number of different places. So this is key. I want to just tell you a very quick story to give you an example of that. And I've told you this before, but from a little different context. 20, 30-some years ago, I developed a condition in my body that under pressure I would break out in hives. Not little spots like this, big enormous things, and they would, could be debilitating. They may break out on the bottom of my foot, and I could be somewhere, and all of a sudden, this thing would start, and next thing I can't walk. It's like the whole bottom of my foot would swell up. Went to the doctor, he gave me some medicine, and the medicine would stop it, but it would knock me out. I mean, I was just no good once I took the medicine. And if I didn't stop it, it would just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I had to do something. It, was, I'd more, it took something more than Benadryl to stop it. And so I'd had this for a number of years. It was not there all the time. It would come back under stress. And so we go out, we move out to, to, to our Oklahoma. We're going to Bible school. I'm studying faith under the faith teacher, Kenneth Hagin. And now I started getting afflicted with these things again. And it's going on and on. It'll come and go and 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 come and go. And finally I got mad at God one day. I said, wait a minute. I've been obeying you. I resigned from my law practice. I moved my family, uprooted them, move them halfway across the country. We're out in this place. I don't know why I'm out here. I don't like this place. It's flat. The roads are straight. There's no ocean. This is not the one I was raised around. But you sent me out here, and I've done what you... And I've still got these things. I'm going here in a faith teacher. I've still got these things. You know, sometimes you just need to get mad at God, and then He'll begin to answer you. He knows what you're thinking. And suddenly I realized... I was hearing a faith teacher. I was going to school, but I wasn't doing what he said. Attending school, it doesn't say anything about attending school. It talks about doing it. And I realized I had never taken the time to seriously meditate on the Word of God about that. So I determined this. I'm going to take every free moment I have, and I picked one scripture, and I'm going to do that with that one scripture. 
When I don't have to study, when I don't have to think about driving, when I don't, whenever I don't have to be doing something consciously, I am going to go over this scripture and those things I taught you last week, going through one ver- word at a time, whatever it is, I'm going to think about this scripture, I'm going to think about this scripture, I'm going to think about this scripture. I did this for a week. And somewhere at the end of that week, one of these things started developing me. And I could feel it. Before when that would happen, fear would start to grip me. Here we go again. Here we go again. I start feeling discouraged. And this time I opened my mouth to speak that verse. And what came out of me, the power that came out of me shook me. It's like, where did that come from? And the moment I spoke that word against it, it stopped. It's faster than if I'd taken that pill. And it dried up and it never came back. Amen. Now here's the difference. I could have gone the rest of my life saying, why isn't it working? Why doesn't it work? Why does it work? Because I never took that verse and deposited it down deep in my heart. It was in my head. So many times we believe the Word of God in our head, but not in our heart. But Jesus never talked about believing in your head. He says, if you shall believe in your heart and not, and not doubt. He says, whosoever shall take this mountain, be thou taken up and cast thee, and shall not doubt in his heart heart, not his head. You can have all kinds of doubts in your head and have peace in your heart, but on the other end, you can believe things in your head that you don't believe in your heart. And it's the heart that counts because your will is tied to your heart. So there's a, a, a living example where I took that scripture and did it and found out, and what it is, because I'm a teacher, I, I analyze what happened there, and I realized if that happened then, then most of the other times when I've been standing for something, no wonder it didn't happen, because I hadn't taken it and put it down deep in my heart. And once you taste what that's like, you know it. We had it one other time like that when my wife was diagnosed with a, with a tumor, in her, in her abdomen, and they were going to run all the tests on her, and they were running this test, and, and, and we, were, we were, we had no health insurance, we had nothing, and it's like, we got together, we said, we can't, we're going to have to agree on this, and I did the same thing, we just started meditating on this word, we turned the TV off, we turned everything off, all we did, when we had, when we had nothing else we had to do, was take a scripture and begin to meditate, it's boring at first, but it was better getting operated on because I drove past the hospital one day as this was rolling around and the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, I can take care of that tumor two ways. I can do it in the hospital or I can do it without the hospital. It's up to you which way you want. And I went home and talked to her. We said, this is what we're going to do. And so after the week, I don't know, it was two weeks or whatever it was, she had to go back for one final test and she came out and said, the doctor can't find it anymore. The doctor can't find it anymore. So I'm telling you this works. But the problem is, most of the time we're too lazy to do this. But it's got to take meditating on it day and night, not depart from your mouth. Now there was a time when we, people, we taught this in church and people made a law out of it. Oh, You've got to be afraid of what you say. That's not what it says. But what comes out of your mouth is what you're thinking about. This word shall not depart from your mouth. All right. Okay, we're going to move on now to the next tool. That's meditation. By the way, those cards, I remember the cards I told you to use? They're for the purpose of meditating. Okay. The second, you can take that down now. The second tool, again, this is something we've been taught before, is confession. I want to talk about what confession is, because first of all, many of you were raised in a church where that was part of your regular activity, is you had to make a confession before somebody, and we know the Bible talks about confessing our sins. But let's talk about what confess means. 
I looked at the word up, and I've got a big Webster's Unabridged Dictionary in my basement. And I decided one time when I was teaching, first began to teach this, to just go look up what the dictionary says. And one of the meanings in the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary of the word confess is to adopt as your own. To adopt as your own. And I began to think about it and realize, you know what? When we confess our sin, isn't that what we're doing? We're adopting it as our own. I remember as a boy, we were playing baseball in the backyard. And I hit the ball, and it went through the window in the garage. And my mother came out and said, who did it? And I had to ad- accept as my own the responsibility for having broken that window. I confess that I did it. So when we confess something that's wrong, we're accepting it, ownership of it. I'm responsible for it. That's what Adam failed to do. God said, who, who told you? He says, the woman you gave me. <laughs> there are only three of us here, and I just know I'm the one that's innocent. It's either her fault or your fault for giving her to me, and that men have been doing that ever since. But confession is when you accept the responsibility for what you've done. But that's in the negative. But confession works in the positive also. So there's a positive aspect to confession, and that's when with your words you accept ownership of something God has given you. Forty-eight years ago, July 22nd, this last year, Anita and I stood before a minister, and we made a confession. And the confession was, he went through a bunch of promises, and I confessed, I do. I was accepting her as my wife, and I was accepting the responsibility before God for certain aspects of that. And there come times in those 48 years when that acceptance became tested, just as her acceptance of me was the same way. So it is a verbal acceptance of responsibility, a verbal acceptance of that ownership, not of owning her, but of owning the responsibility that goes with that commitment. So I wanted you to see that because so many of us are raised with the idea to confess something is always a negative thing. But the base meaning of the word goes either way. If it's something that's wrong and you did it, confession is accepting, I did it, I'm responsible. But there's a positive side of this where we're accepting ownership. It's, it's a, uh, a positive confession is to acknowledge with your mouth as yours something that God has already given to you. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tell us that, that if, you will, if you will believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So part of how salvation is received is by a public acknowledgement of Christ as your Lord. He is Lord whether you ever confess Him or not. Your confession doesn't make Him Lord. He's Lord because God gave Him that, that position. But when you confess Him as Lord, you are now accepting that Lordship over your life. And you are putting yourself under His Lordship, so you are putting yourself under the grace that He paid for you. And that requires a confession with your mouth. It's not a legalistic thing that you have to say just the right words. It is a, and you can say just the right words and not be confessing Him as Lord. You can repeat a prayer and knock. It's believing something in your heart and then expressing that confession with your mouth. So that's what confession is. Now, with that background, this is a very different tool than meditation that we've just studied. 
Meditation is where you're putting something, both of these are putting something, depositing something down in your heart. Go back a second. Remember what we've been learning to do. The wrong, the strongholds in your mind that control you, that have been built in you in many cases from childhood, built in us, were formed by images that have been formed in us. And those images consist of a series of thoughts that are connected together to form an image. And remember I drew up on the board that dot-to-dot game that children play? And you connect, your mind connects dots, and in those connection of dots forms an image. That image is there long enough, it forms a stronghold that begins to control you. And what we're learning to do is replace those old strongholds that are not true with new strongholds that are true. And the way you do that is to form new images in your mind. And the way you form a new image is not to take that old memory card out and put a new memory card in. It would be wonderful if you could do that, but you've got to go back and form new images the way the old ones were with thoughts but this is different you're choosing to put thoughts in your mind that are intentionally going to form the right images that will intentionally form the right strongholds everybody with me so meditation is simply a method of intentionally putting in your mind the right thoughts that will form those images well confession is another way of doing the same thing it's another tool that does the same thing very powerful very very powerful In some ways it's more powerful than meditation because in some ways it's easier to do. Because while you're meditating your mind, you've got to discipline your mind to meditate on it. But you've got to be patient with that because if you haven't learned to discipline your mind, it will take a while. But don't quit. That was one of the things we looked at. Don't quit. Keep at it. And eventually that mind, like a spoiled child, will begin to submit itself to what you tell it to do. Because remember, you're not your mind and your mind is not you. Your mind is just a tool given you to help you carry out God's purposes in your life and whatever else. Okay, now, so what confession is, is in essence bombarding the strongholds in your mind with the truth, with the Word of God, until your mind begins to yield to it. And there's two purposes, there's two types of confession, and they're very different from each other. The purpose of confession, one of them, is when you're speaking out of the abundance of your heart to call into being what you already believe God has provided. I'll give that to you again. It's speaking out of the abundance of your heart what you already believe that God has provided for you. So when you believe God's word about that God loves you or something like that or, 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 or whatever, and you begin to talk that out, what you're doing is you're reinforcing what you already believe. You're calling it into being. So when you confess Christ as Lord, you, you do that because you've chosen to believe that, and now by speaking it out, you're calling it into existence. You're calling it into existence. Let's go to an example of that. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. I didn't give them the scripture, or maybe I did, to put up there. No, I guess I didn't. In, in talking about uh, uh, faith, it says, as, as it is written... A father of many nations have I made you. This is talking about God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations when he was past childbearing age and his wife was, he was 100 years old, well he was 75 at the time, and his wife was 65 and she was barren. So they were past childbearing age and she was barren and God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And at first he doesn't believe him. Sarah laughs when he tells him about this. 
But gradually he begins to believe that promise, and when he finally comes to believe it, nine months later, here's Isaac, the son of the promise. So, so what happened there is Abraham began to speak out what he believed. But the example that's given in Romans chapter 4 is it says, As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God. Now it's going to talk about what he believed about God. Who calls things that be not as though they were. God calls things that don't exist. There we go. As though they were. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things which do not exist as though they did. So God creates things by speaking them out. Now here's the difference. God's words are different than your words and mine. God's words are creative. God has such power, absolute power, so that when He says, let it be, it is. Genesis chapter 1 told us the way God created this entire universe is He simply said, He didn't yell and scream. He didn't have to work it up and huff and puff. He just released His power by saying, let there be light. So God doesn't, doesn't, God's words create what they say, which is why God cannot lie. Because if God tried to lie, it's now truth. You and I are different. Because in our own strength, we can't create anything except a mess. But what our words do is predict something. So that when we say, somebody says, you know, look, I, I, I'm going to need help moving on Saturday, and you say, I'll come and help you. Your words are not going to make them move. Your words are predicting what's going to happen. And with the best of intentions, we predict what's going to happen when we're talking about the future. God doesn't predict. He creates. Now, when we begin to line our words up with God's words, then God's creative power begins to flow through our words because words are important. Notice how many times when Jesus prayed, we say He prayed for people, but very rarely did He pray the way you and I think of prayer. Very rarely did He say, Father, heal this person. Either He cast a demon out or He just told them to do something. The man with a withered hand. Jesus didn't lay hands on him and say, Father, would you please heal this withered hand? He spoke to the hand. He said, move your hand. In fact, in John chapter 11, when Jesus is standing at the t- tomb of Lazarus, who'd been buried and in the tomb for four days, Jesus prays, but He says, Father, the only reason I'm going to talk out loud to you is so they know when this happens, you did it and I didn't. And then what does he do? He speaks to a dead man. He speaks to him and tells him to come forth. Mark eleven twenty three says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, referring to a problem, be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. So our words release what we believe in our heart. Our words release the power of what it is we believe in our heart, good or bad. Good or bad. Oh, I know they're going to lay me off. Oh, I know they're going to... What you're doing is you're building your faith that you're going to be laid off and you're agreeing with it. 
Now again, we're not to walk around afraid, oh, I slipped and said the wrong thing. That's, not, that's legalism. But we need to understand the principle that our words have power, especially when they agree with God's words. So one, of the, one type of, of, of confession, Jesus spoke to storms, and it's known as the confession of faith. And the purpose of it is, is when your mouth declares it, your mouth is now in agreement with your heart, and that releases the power of what you believe. It releases the power of what you believe. All right. But confession has another purpose. And that fits more in what we're going to talk about. Confession, so this first type is when you take something you believe in your heart and you put it into motion by speaking it out. Now you've got to be careful how you do that and where you do that. So if you're struggling with sickness in your body, the, you know, cold, and you walk around telling everybody at work you're healed, you don't need to be blasting that out to unbelievers. But you can say it to yourself. You can say it in your car. You can say it under your breath. But the second type of confession is almost the opposite. It's when you start declaring God's word that you don't believe. The first is where you're speaking out what you believe and you're releasing it. So you're releasing the power of it. But we're talking now about something that you don't believe. So you take a scripture, well, Pastor, I'm, you know, I know it says that, but I'm having trouble believing it. Here's the way you change. You can change what you believe. You can change what you believe. All right. In this type of confession, your mind and your heart already don't believe what you're confessing because that's why you're doing it. And this is the type we've been talking about. This is the type, this is the type that's, that's important for, for, for ch- uh, renewing your mind. With this second type, you're speaking out to change what you believe. With the first type, you're speaking out to empower what you believe. All right, so let's talk about this second type. Automatically, you know, it's something that your mind fights with. It's balking with. But if you keep... How do you think you believe what you believe now? You heard it enough. One of the, one of the largest industries in this country is based on this principle. It's called advertising. What do they do? They bombard you. This time of year, they bombard you with Mr. Mucus walking around. They bombard you with stuffy noses. They bombard you with all this stuff, creating this message, hearing over and over again. Because what does the Bible say in, in Romans ten seventeen? Faith comes by what? Hearing. But it doesn't just come by hearing, by sitting in church and hearing me, or plugging in your, your, your iPod or something like that. It also comes, the most important way faith comes is by hearing you. Because when the words come out of your mouth, they have greater power to your ears than when they come from anybody else. So what this type of confession is doing is basically changing the way you think by speaking to yourself by speaking to yourself. And I want to explain this to you because your mind will balk at first. Well, I, don't, you don't, I, I can't do that. I don't believe it. That's right, you don't. That's why we're doing this. To change what you believe because you can do that by just beginning to speak it to yourself and 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 speak it to yourself. 
During the Korean War, when they captured American prisoners, they developed a technique with them called brainwashing. And they would just keep speaking the same thing over and over again to them. And they would keep them under lights, they wouldn't let them sleep, and they would keep speaking the same thing over and over again to them until it began to literally reprogram their minds. And that was with things that weren't true. And what we're learning, going to learn to do is how to reprogram our minds with things that are true. So you take a verse, just as I did, and you just begin to speak it to yourself, and speak it to yourself, and speak it to yourself. And then think about it while you speak. You meditate on it, and you can speak it to yourself. And literally what you're doing is you're bombarding that stronghold. Pastor Ray did a sermon years ago, years ago, years ago, using the example of how do you break a large rock. You take a rock, and with a hammer, you can begin to hit it, and hit it, and hit it, and hit it, and each time you hit it, it looks like nothing's happening. Oh, maybe a few chips are flying off it, but it looks like nothing's happened. But you keep hitting it, and you keep hitting it, and you keep hitting it. What you don't realize is you're breaking down the molecular structure inside. And your eyes can't see that. And your hands, when they hit it, they don't feel it because that rock feels just as hard this time as the first time I hit it. But something's happening on the inside you don't realize until all of a sudden one time you hit it and this thing begins to split open and fall apart, almost as if it were magic. But it wasn't the last hit that did it, it's the cumulative hits that did it. Each hit did something. And each time you take a word and you speak it to yourself, you may not feel any different, things may not look any different to you, but what's very subtly happening is that stronghold in your mind is beginning to crack, it's beginning to weaken, because it's hearing the Word of God. It's hearing. How do you think the stronghold got there? By hearing lies, by hearing things that weren't true, by thinking about and meditating on oh, this will never work, I'll never amount to anything, I can't ever succeed, I'm not this and I'm not that. And whatever it is you heard as a child begins to get built into you. It was built up over years. But as you begin to reverse that by taking the truth of God's Word, I don't care how I feel, God loves me. I know I didn't do very well today. God still loves me because that's God's nature. God loves me. God loves me. Joyce Meyer changed her whole life and the ministry by learning to get up every morning and look in a mirror and talk to herself. Talk to herself. And if you struggle with a self-image, take scriptures and stand in front of that mirror and talk to yourself, saying, I don't care what I think of you, God says you're His child. I don't care what I think of you, God loves you. It doesn't matter how well you did yesterday, it doesn't matter how well you're going to do today, God still loves you because He's your child, you're His child. And begin to talk to yourself, and what you're doing is you're beginning to break that down. You're beginning to break down those strongholds. Now, in order to understand how this works, you need to understand a certain aspect of yourself. You have three ears. Do you realize you have three ears? You have a left ear, and you have a right ear. Those are what hold my glasses up when I wear them. But you have a third ear. It's an inner ear. And that ear hears everything you say. So when you, when you lie to somebody, you hear yourself. When you lie to yourself, you hear yourself. When you kind of fudge the truth a little bit, and they're subtle, well, I'm going to try to do that. And you know you're not going to try. You hear that. You hear everything you say. 
It gets recorded in you. And you develop in you either confidence in what you're saying or a lack of confidence in what you're saying. So you have an inner ear that hears everything you say and is sensitive to everything you say. And so we need to realize that's what we're speaking to. We're speaking to that inner ear that hears whatever you say. And as I said earlier, your words have more power to you than anybody else's words. Now I'm going to say something to you that I do it a little bit of a risk because it may sound conceited, but this is not what I mean at all. There are times I get more, and I don't do this very often, but sometimes I'll catch it on the radio. There are times I get more out of hearing my own messages than anybody else's. Not because I'm sitting there, wow, what a good preacher he is. Because I can be critical. But it's because when I hear what I preached, I remember what I saw in here. And it brings back to my recollection what I saw in here. I had a friend years ago that used to do this. He used to take the scriptures, and this is before all the electronic devices, and he had a tape recorder, and he would literally record his own words speaking scriptures. And then he would listen back to them. He would pray, play them back to himself. Because hearing your voice speaking the word back to yourself has more power than anybody else. It has more power, because it's as if your mind thinks you believe it if you're saying it. So you are the most important voice in your own life. You are the most important voice in your own life. All right. Now, where this is different from confession, I mean for meditation, is when you're meditating, I said, you're, it's not just repeating a verse over and over again. It's thinking about that verse. But with confession... It is exactly that. It is just repeating the same verse over and 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 over again. Remember what you're doing. You are consciously, purposefully taking the truth that's in here and planting it in your mind. Whereas other thoughts came in from random sources, you're choosing to take a thought and put plant it down deep in your mind. So you're consciously doing it with the purpose of planting the word in your mind. So you're not just reciting, you're not just reciting some mantra. You're depositing something. And it helps me when I'm doing this to remind myself what I'm doing, why I'm doing this. I'm not just following some mantra. Somebody's told me to go, you know, say something over and over again and I'm opening up some key to the universe. I'm depositing a thought in my mind right out of God's Word. I'm consciously depositing a thought of, my, in God's, of God's Word in my mind. Again, second thing, your mind does not have to understand it or agree with it. Your mind does not have to understand it, whereas with meditation, one of the steps is, do I understand it? In this case, you don't have to understand it. You just have, you don't have to agree with it. I've taken verses I argued with, and I would just say them over and over and over again, and eventually, no, I begin to see a different aspect of it. I begin to, wait a minute, there's another truth in this. And, and I had a time last year, when I, two years ago, when I was doing this in the middle of some difficult situation I was going through. I was up in the middle of the night because I was being tempted to worry about something. So I started praying. And I started speaking to God about some situation. And while I was praying, I was praying this verse out to God, which is another thing we're going to learn to do. When you pray a verse out, you're speaking it out, but you're intentionally speaking it out to God. While you're speaking out to God, guess who's hearing it? You are. 
And all of a sudden, I felt the reality. You understand this? That you and I, most of the time, we live in a reality of, of this word at a very superficial level. We intellectually, if you've been in, around this word long enough, you may know intellectually a lot about it, but how real is it to you? How much a part of our life is it? And so what I began to realize as I was doing this with some certain scriptures, it began to drop down to another level of reality. Cause, and you can tell when that happens. It's like, I'll never forget when I was a boy, my father took me on a trip, and I, had, I, I, I went on two flights with him. The first flight, the weather was fine. The second flight, it was raining, and the, it was overcast. I'd never done this before. But this plane, I took, we took off in a storm, and the, the sun wasn't out. So I thought, hey, the sun's not out. The plane went above the clouds, and I saw a different reality. I saw, doesn't matter what it was like on the ground, the sun's still there. It's still out. It's beautiful and sunny up here. I'd never seen that before. But you know, once I had that experience, when I get up on a day like today and it's cloudy, I don't worry, is the sun out? I know because I've been up there. I've seen it. Just because I don't feel it today, I still know it's there. Because once I've had that experience, I know there's a reality that's there. I may not be walking in it right now, but I know it's there because I've seen it and I tasted it. And I've had that happen with God's Word when He began. So I'm sharing that with you because it's very easy to go through and say, well, yeah, I got that. This Word has no depth to this reality because God is, the Word and God are one. And the more you meditate on it, the more you give the Holy Spirit in you a chance to reveal things to you. One of my favorite scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, Eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, our natural eyes haven't seen it. Our ears haven't yet heard it. And our mind by itself has not been able to comprehend the wonderful depths of what God has prepared for us. But, he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit's been given to us to reveal those deep things of God. And He searches the depths of God's heart so He can reveal to them to us. So as you meditate on this Word, as you begin to speak this Word to yourself over and over and over and over again, what you're doing is you're giving the Holy Spirit fuel to work with so He can begin to take that as it begins to get saturated down inside of you and He begins to pull the curtain back slowly and show you a greater depth to the how real this is. And what this was that I was meditating on is in Matthew 7 when it's God says, Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Well, there were some things I've been asking for I didn't have. So I was up in the night talking to God about this. You know, you can do that. If you're frustrated about something, talk to Him about it. He already knows what you're thinking. He can handle it. He's not going to get shaken. Oh, my goodness, they're not sure of me. Well, He's... And I began to talk to him, God, you said this. And all of a sudden, as I was doing it, all of a sudden I realized, it dawned on me, it dawned on me. Wait a minute. If God's telling me to ask, why would he do that if he doesn't plan to answer? So the issue isn't whether God wants to answer. There's some other issue involved here. But if he's telling me to ask... If he's telling me to ask something he's not prepared to give, then he's not being very fair. And if we go on and look, we're not going to. If you go and look at the rest of those verses, he says, if, you being, if your son comes to you and asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to fool him and give him a rock? Or if he asks you for a, for a fish, are you going to fool him and give him a serpent? If you being evil know how, to give, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good things to him that 
asks. So Jesus goes on to say exactly that. If he's telling you to ask, it's because he wants to answer. Well, the reality that shook me, I've never, I mean, I know those verses backwards and forwards, but the reality of hit me, hit me at a different level. And I'm sharing those stories with you so you can understand if you've never had that experience, it's there. So, well, how come it hasn't happened to me? Because you haven't spoken the word enough. You haven't meditated enough. You haven't given the Spirit of God enough to work with because He's in you. God's put Him in you to reveal to you the inner secrets of God's heart of the things He's done for you. That's what the Scripture says. And the reason we don't receive them and walk in them is they're not real enough to us to believe that they're there. Christmas morning, we had, as I shared one Christmas Eve, our whole family, grandchildren, children, it was wonderful. And I watched our grandchildren, especially this granddaughter here, Ava, go around and hand out packages. And I never saw anybody just hesitate. Oh, I don't know if that's mine. I, I, I just, you know. They grabbed them and they opened them. Why? Because they believed they were real. They believed the reality of that gift. And so they accepted that gift, received that gift, opened that gift, and enjoyed that gift. And the reason we don't accept, receive, and open and enjoy the gifts, the promises God has for us is because we're not convinced of the reality of them. And we don't want to be disappointed by asking for something and finding out it may not be there. And God can't do anything more. He bought the present, wrapped the present, delivered the present. What more can he do? We have to receive it. And part of receiving it involves making this confession for the purpose of changing how we think. Last thing about, well, two last things. Whereas with everything else we talked about, this does not require faith. This does not require, because what we're doing this for is to increase our faith. When you take, when you go to the doctor and you've got a sore throat or you're having symptoms and the doctor gives you a prescription, you go to the pharmacist and they give you this prescription, the doctor says, now make sure you take this for the 10 days that's prescribed or the 5 days prescribed. And the first time you take that pill, you don't feel any better, do you? Second time you take that pill, most likely you don't feel any better. But you still keep taking the pill. You don't take the pill and think, well, I don't know if it's working or not. Because the doctor said, take all of the pills that are in this bottle. So you'd simply do it. And you know what? That medicine does not work because you believe it. That medicine works because there's power in that medicine to produce the healing, to trigger the healing in your body. Well, there's power in this God. All you've got to do is get it in you. All you've got to do is get it in you and it will produce faith. All you've got to do is get it in you and it will change how you think. All you've got to do is get it in you and it will work. You don't have to believe it, you just got to get it in you. If you get it in you, you'll begin to believe it. But what we're trying to do is believe it before we get it in us. Amen. And one of the verses that changed my whole thinking about this was back in Romans 4. It says, Abraham believed in order that he might become according to that which was promised. So in God's kingdom, you've got to believe before you become. You've got to believe before you feel. But the way you believe is by putting the Word of God in you. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Feelings have nothing to do with it. I'll end with this, just an example. There's, there was a man that was Abraham's grandson. His name was Jacob. 
Jacob's word mean, name means deceiver. Back in those days, your name was given you to be a description of your personality or of your destiny. Imagine if you were given the name deceiver. Because he came out of the womb, because in those days the firstborn inherited the bulk of the father's estate. He came out of the first womb because he was a twin, grabbing his brother's heel, trying to replace the brother and come out first. So he was given the name supplanter. And most of his young life, that's what he did. He was a trickster. He tried to deceive his father into giving him the inheritance that God had promised him instead of believing God. And he goes this long story. We're not going to take the time to go through it. And finally, he ends up in a place where he's been deceived. He's been tricked. And he's on his way home because it's the only safe place to go and he's not so sure about that. And he has this situation where he spends all night and an angel comes to him and wrestles with him all night. And at the end of that night, the sun's starting to come up. The angel says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. In other words, faith came out of his heart for the first time. And the angel turns to him and says, what's your name? Imagine having to tell the angel, my name is Deceiver Trickster. But he tells him the truth. He says, from now on, your name is Israel, which means Prince of God or one who's prevailed, wrestled with God and prevailed. Prince of God. He changed his name. So that every time he heard his name spoken, every time he spoke his name, he was now hearing a different identity. Every time he heard his name before, he was being reminded he was a trickster, deceiver. But God wanted to change him by changing his name first. And every time his name was spoken, every time he spoke his name, every time he heard his name, he was now being told, you have a different identity now. You are now a prince of God, a man that has learned to prevail with God. God's given us the tools. He's given us the Word of God to meditate on. He's given us the Word of God to declare over our lives, to speak it out. It's our mind that gets in the way. So if we'll just do what God's Word says. We looked at it in Joshua. If you will, the Word of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall speak it day and night. Then you shall observe to do according to what's written therein, and then you shall be prosper, and then you shall make your way of success. The tools are in our hands. That's what we do with them. I told you to take those cards, and I told you two steps. First of all, what I tell you to do is, is take those cards, write a scripture on them, put them somewhere, and every time you thought about it, just touch it. And the second step would be to take it out. Now what I want you to do, if you've done that, is now I want you to begin to just say that verse. Begin to say that verse, and then also begin to meditate on that verse. And if you will do that consistently, it almost doesn't matter what the verse is. The Spirit of God is in you to take the fuel and begin to ignite it and begin to work from the inside out to form these new images and these new strongholds in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you make provision for us for what it is we need. And we thank you that you've given us your word, ordained by you to bring the change into our life that you've already paid for. And we thank you that you've given us your precious Holy Spirit, who is the, great, the very creative power of God on the inside to bring these things about. And Lord, now we need to learn to take these two and bring them together so that you can do your part of this work in us, that we would be transformed and changed through this process you've ordained of renewing our minds. I pray, Father, for every one of us tonight that has heard this word, that the Spirit of God would begin to bring back to our remembrance the things that we've heard, the things that we've seen, so that we would have the opportunity to apply them in our lives. Thank you for being so patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen.